Welcome to Getting Technetical, a Technetics podcast. Your source for insights on engineered ceiling and component solutions for the world's most demanding environments. Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. I'm Tyler Kern and today we're talking about ceiling for space products. What exactly does that mean? We're going to talk a little bit more about the space market as well and the market for these particular products. And joining me to provide his expertise and to talk about all things space is Jason Riggs. He's the director of the Aerospace Business Unit for Technetics Group. Jason, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jason, first of all, your job sounds incredibly interesting. So before we kind of get into the market and the products and talking a little bit more about Technetics and what they do in this space, I just want to know how you became the director of the aerospace business unit and if space is something you were always kind of interested in, fascinated by, or if this was something that you kind of found yourself in later on in life. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background. You know, uh, when I think about the space market and kind of how I ended up here, it wasn't necessarily the path I envisioned myself going down as I was younger, but, you know, I reflect back to when I was in elementary school. I think I was in third grade or so when the, uh, the Challenger uh, tragedy occurred. And, you know, I remember sitting in the, in the library in my elementary school watching that all unfold and, and just really being kind of taken by that whole event. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, later in life, learn, coming to, to understand that, um, you know, that there were some, some parts on that. Uh, that space shuttle that had failed, um, you know, that ultimately led to that catastrophe. I think that that event really kind of shaped my my thinking and my interest in, you know, mechanical design and uh, just everything that, that goes into building, uh, you know, vehicles, whether it be spacecraft or, or cars. Um, and, you know, ultimately um, chose the path of uh, becoming a mechanical engineer. And um, that kind of led me to the aerospace industry. I did a little bit of work um, in the solenoid valve business early in my career and uh, got to work on a lot of different commercial and military applications. And then um, a few years into my career, I actually got to spend a few years in the launch vehicle business. So I actually uh, did some work on a couple different uh, rockets uh, for a company that's now uh, part of Northrop Grumman, uh, worked on a couple of different missions there and, you know, really got to kind of tie, you know, all my education and experience and even, you know, kind of my memories of going back to Challenger, you know, into the work that I got to do on those, those couple different missions. And so things kind of came full circle. Um, From there, I I did a little bit more mechanical design work and really kind of found myself gravitating more towards the business side of the industry. So I started moving into more sales and account management. And um, ultimately that led me to Technetics. Uh, I joined the company back in 2013, um, and I was handling sales uh, for all of our products into the aerospace market. Did that for a few years, and then moved into the role that I, I currently sit in today. That's really awesome. That's it's cool to hear just that that pathway that you've you've taken to end up here. And the the space market, and this is my perception. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but the, it feels like the space market has really seen a lot of growth and a lot of interest in it in recent years. Um, and I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that growth. Uh, you know, if it's happening and the factors that are kind of driving it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, the market has really it's it's grown and it's it's changed quite a bit. Um, you know, for us uh, at Technetics, we've had the opportunity to work in the, the space market for decades. 
you know, we have applications going back to, you know, the Ares and Gemini missions. Um, and so what we've seen is, is a significant transformation in the market. You know, you have a lot of the, uh, what's called kind of the, the legacy players, um, you know, and those legacy missions. And now we're doing a lot of work with the quote unquote new space uh, folks. And, and really what we've seen is a shift from kind of a, a slower um, design cycle um, using a lot of kind of legacy technologies to where we're at today with a lot of the, the new space players where, uh, you know, key business and design decisions are made uh, daily, hourly by um, not just management within these companies, but the engineers who are closest to the problems. And so what we find as vendors is we have to be um, ready to adapt and change very quickly. Uh, whereas that nece wasn't necessarily the case, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where, you know, working on an application, you, you could be making design decisions, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, 18, 24, 36 months. Now we may be doing the same things over, you know, 18 to 36 days. So we've seen a lot of change in, in, in the way that the business is, um, is done, the way design decisions are made, and ultimately the way that we have to react you know, and, and with that has come a lot of growth in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was there was just a handful of players, you know, back in the day that were, you know, launching the Atlas and the Delta rockets. And and now, of course, you've, you've still got some of those legacy players, but we've also got a lot of these new space players and they're addressing um, numerous different portions of the market. Right. So you've got players that are that are addressing the very uh, light launch vehicles that can launch. Uh, you know, satellites that are built from university all the way up to, you know, still the big NASA programs like the SLS, which is kind of stepped in in place of the shuttle. So you've got a lot more players, um, a lot wider kind of range of applications and, and uh, launch services that they can hit, which provides a lot more opportunity for us as, as vendors. Absolutely. You, you talked about those, those different, uh, the different amount of time, um, the, the time difference, I suppose, in, in, I guess, producing products. And you mentioned that 18 to 36 months to 18 to 36 days and how that is, um, there's, there's a difference there, right? And so how has te Technetics been able to adjust and how did you maybe maneuver to meet different demands so that you could still uh, be nimble in the marketplace so you could kind of meet these different organizations where they're at, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's a great question. I think first and foremost, we have always been a very customer-centric organization. And so we we work really hard to be um, sitting alongside our customers. So as they are kind of growing and evolving, um, we have the opportunity to do so uh, alongside of them. Um, and it's not always easy. Uh, you know, change is hard. But when when you're when you're focused on being a partner for your customer and you see them moving down a path that's new, different, maybe a little uncomfortable, you have the opportunity to decide: yes, we're going to take our business along that same path, um, or we're not. Um, but also, if you're if you're not really customer centric, you know, if you if you're a business that kind of has the, the attitude of, hey, here's the things we offer, take it or leave it, um, you can very quickly find yourself being kind of uh, left out in the dark. And so being customer centric, we've seen the changes that our customers need us to make. We've been able to make those pivots in real time. And um, and for us, really what that looks like is one technology. We've, we've really had to adapt um, some of our kind of core technologies to meet um, new application demands. And, and two, really just kind of the speed at which we work. You know, again, the, 
you know, when, when we sit alongside engineers that are making decisions on a daily basis, um, you know, they, they have us kind of thinking about going down one, uh, one path for a certain technology and then tomorrow, hey, we've changed the scope of work or we've changed the specifications and now we're looking at something completely different. And the great thing for us um, as Technetics Group is we offer a wide range of not just ceiling solutions, but really technical solutions to a variety of the problems that, uh, that our customers are, are trying to solve. And so we're able to kind of pivot with them. So a perfect example would be for a lot of our legacy applications, uh, if we're dealing with, let's say, sealing a joint on a, a LOX or an OX line on, on a vehicle, you know, some of the traditional solutions that we've put forth would be uh, some very complex machine metal seals, often referred to as a Naflex style seal or sometimes an Omega style seal. And those seals work great. They've got decades of pedigree going back to the shuttle. And so when we started pivoting, for instance, from shuttle to now the uh, SLS rocket, um, there was a lot of discussion about do we still kind of uh, leverage those same technologies and solutions. And as some of the engineers kind of started thinking, well, you know, that's that's what we've done for, for decades and for multiple missions. But what if we were to approach the problem a little bit differently? What if we were to simplify the joint and thus maybe go with a, uh, a less complex seal? Well, for us as Technetics Group, hey, that's no problem because we also make a different type of static metal seal, uh, you know, our formed metal seal line. Uh, which is the uh, Garlock Helicoflex, the, the product line formerly known as Garlock Helicoflex. So we can pivot into a completely different type of sealing solution that comes from a completely different factory, different set of internal engineers, but we can kind of make that shift for our customers. And it's really kind of invisible to them. We just simply go from solution A to solution B, but we're still part of the solution, right? And so being able to offer those different types of solutions for a problem and being able to do so quickly has allowed us to be successful as the problems haven't necessarily changed, but the solutions have, have definitely evolved over, over years and different missions. And I think what's so interesting and, and worth pointing out about um, what you just shared is that you have the context at Technetics to know where the industry has been in the past and where it is now and probably have some insights into where it's going in the future. And so there's there's value in that context that you're able to place things in, right? You know how things have been done in the past because you've been around for a long time. So there's a lot of, a lot of experience to build on there, which I think is extremely valuable in the industry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, with this, I, I don't want to leave out any applications that uh, that you guys are able to, that you have products for and that you uh, are able to serve. So what are some of the various applications of the products that Technetics serves in the aerospace uh, in the aerospace market? So for, for a lot of folks that have known Technetics Group or even some of our uh, the, the brands or the names that we operated under prior to kind of the evolution of Technetics Group, we were... A lot of folks kind of know it as for um, static metal sealing. Um, so the names Garlock or Garlock Helical Flex are well known within the industry. And those are our what we typically refer to as our formed um, static metal seals or resilient metal seals. So those those products are typically used. Uh, they, they're used all over the both the, the launch vehicle itself and the propulsion systems. So typically, uh, anytime you have an assembly of some sort. So, for instance, a valve or a turbo pump something where you're taking 
uh, you know, maybe two different halves of a device and kind of bolting them together or joining them together, you'll typically have a static seal in there. Um, those are the types of applications that we have served from that product line, the Garlock, Garlock and Garlock Helicoplex product line. We also do other types of static metal sealing, which I mentioned earlier, which would be the, the larger machined metal seals. Um, again, like the, the Naflex seal I mentioned, where you might be sealing a large um, liquid oxygen line, for instance, and that could be a, a 12 inch diameter seal with a very large um, metal flange. That's a different type of metal seal, machine metal seal. And then we also make something called a K-port seal, which in kind of mechanical design, you have a standard uh, port or boss, which is basically, you know, kind of that threaded hole in assembly where you're going to fitting or a transducer or a sensor of some sort. And we make a machine seal that actually goes in that, in between those two, uh, those two interfaces, if you will, and provides uh, redundant sealing, and it also gives um, better leakage uh, performance than if you were to just, you know, screw that uh, device or that fitting into that port. So we make those K-port seals as well. And again, those are found all over um, propulsion systems and on different parts of the vehicle. But then outside of kind of your traditional static sealing applications, we also do dynamic sealing or often referred to as mechanical seals, so things that rotate. So if you look at the turbo pump, you know, we've, we've provided the static seal for the assembly, but you have that shaft that's spinning 100,000 RPMs. We can put the, the rotating seal in there as well. And we do that from a business we have in Chicago called Quality Seal Technology. And then outside of just kind of your traditional uh, static and dynamic sealing, we also do things like edge welded metal bellows which can be used as seals, they can be used as springs, dampers, um, and for the space industry, we'll take those devices and we actually integrate them into our customers' assemblies and they essentially become shock absorbers or dampers. Hmm. Um, so if you look at a spacecraft, you typically have something called a reaction wheel assembly, sometimes called a centripetal moment gyroscope. So if you think about, uh, you know, the old analogy of spinning a bicycle wheel and kind of holding onto the axle and rotating it, you get that, that gyro effect. Mm -hmm. Spacecraft use something similar and they want to isolate any vibration from that assembly uh, from getting into the payload. And so they build essentially really fancy shock absorbers. Our edge welded metal bellows are basically the heart of that shock absorbing. So in that case, they're not necessarily acting as, as purely a seal. They're really acting more as a mechanical damper. Um, and those products come out of uh, our facility in Daytona Beach, which uh, goes back to the 1950s under the name, the brand name Bellfab. Uh, we also take those bellows, we put them essentially in a can and we turn them into what we call uh, an accumulator or a reservoir. And that's a device that holds fluid or can provide positive pressure into a pressurized system. Um, those devices are used on, on spacecraft and rockets, such as the NASA's SLS um, Space Launch System. Uh, we provide those devices for that as well. And that's going to handle hydraulic fluid. We also have something called a burst disc, which if you think about an electrical fuse, you, know, you, you put an electrical fuse in a system to kind of pop or you know, rupture, if you will, when the current be above you know, some specified limit. Our safe shear burst disc really thing for pressurized systems. So in a spacecraft or a launch vehicle, you have systems such as the fuel system, for instance, that is going to have some 
some working pressure, but then the engineer has to kind of ask themselves, okay, well, if, if this system exceeds the maximum pressure, what's going to happen? Well, you can't obviously afford to have a catastrophic event in your fuel system. So you put our safe shear burst disc in that tank, for instance, in a fuel system, and it's going to act a lot like that electrical fuse. It's going to rupture when the system hits that kind of critical pressure. Um, and we build a precise device that um, gives the kind of precision and accuracy that our that customers want uh, versus kind of the industrial equivalents. Um, and then in addition to that, we also have an elastomeric sealing uh, business where we can do all kinds of different elastomeric seals that could live in, typically in different parts of the rocket or the spacecraft. So again, our, our, our suite of products really expands beyond just kind of the traditional static seals that we're often known for. Really, we get into a lot of this kind of more fluid conveyance and, and fluid handling portions of, of the vehicle. Um, and, and the solutions that we offer are pretty unique uh, versus the other kind of competing technical solutions that are on the market. And um, what we find is our customers appreciate that for all of our products, they're engineered, they're designed for their specific application. They're not stuck with buying something out of a catalog. So for all of our products, they get something that's designed for their specific application. They have access to our engineers. And we really walk with all of our customers with all of these products kind of as partners to ensure that when they deploy one of our products into one of their applications, they've got the exact right solution for that specific problem. And that's really uh, paid big dividends for us. And it's really allowed our customers to kind of advance their systems and their technologies, I think, at a, at a higher rate than they would have been able to had they been kind of stuck with traditional catalog type uh, solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just as you say that, you know, you, you work so closely with your customers, you're making them products that are specific to their particular needs. So you have a good idea. And we've talked about this, you know, where the market has been, where it is now, where do you see it moving in the future? And how do you see things continuing to evolve in, to evolve in this space? Well, you know, it's, it's a really interesting space <laughs> and a very interesting time right now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I think about the space market, there's really a couple kind of different buckets that I look at. One would be the payloads, right? So really rockets exist to move something to space. So you've got, you know, payloads could be satellites, it could be cargo, it could be crew. Um, and within that space, there's a lot of growth and development. Then you've got the launch services portion of the business. And of course, at the core of that is the rocket, but ancillary to that is going to be all the other services that our customers provide to the end user, if you will. Um, and that, you know, that's not just the rocket, that's everything that the customer needs to, to go, hey, I've built a thing, a satellite, a payload to I'm getting into space. So it's all the launch services that kind of go with that. And then the last bucket that I look at would be kind of your uh, space tourism, space habitat, international space, um, the ISS, lunar landers, things like that, uh, that also kind of fit in that space market. And we really play within all three of those, those realms, if you will. Uh, but the thing that really drives our business the most is, is the launch services portion, and particularly the, the vehicles and the propulsion systems themselves. And if you look at just the launch services portion of the market, um, some of the research we've looked at shows that that market was valued at about 
8.7 billion in 2016. Wow. And it's projected to be over 27 billion by about 2025. So, you know, it's about a 15% CAGR just within the launch services portion of the market. Um, and then so, you know, we if we look at that that market and kind of what's driving that, again, if you look at the payloads, you've got national security payloads, you've got uh, civil government payloads, i.e. like GPS type satellites, and, mm-hmm. and that's growing. But what's really interesting is if you look at um, what's being, kind of being referred to is that these new satellite constellations that are being put up, right? So you've got, for instance, SpaceX has a project called Starlink. Um, Amazon's doing something called Project uh, Kuiper. Uh, Apple is doing a project with constellations. You've got OneWeb. Uh, you've got Telesat and Blue Origin. And what all of these companies are doing is they are they have a vision for putting up hundreds, if not thousands, of satellites in into lower, low Earth orbit, um, having those satellites communicate with one another uh, to serve different purposes. And so there's a couple different things that we see that they're kind of going for. One is um, satellite internet, right? If we look at the, um, the, the telecommunication market, it's, it's a huge market. <laughs> and if these companies can get just, you know, a small portion of that, of that internet service provider market, uh, it can be a huge boost in revenue for them. Right. So, for instance, if we look at uh, what SpaceX is doing with Starlink, um, there, you know, there's revenue estimates that show that within the next call it three years, they could be doing upwards of 20 billion a year just in revenue from Starlink. Mm. So just to put that in context, that's a, that's roughly equivalent to NASA's entire budget, wow. right? So you fast forward three to five years and in addition to everything else SpaceX is currently doing in terms of, you know, flying other people's payloads to space. They also have this potentially large secondary revenue stream from Starlink. And, and, and again, you've got Blue Origin, you've got Apple, you've got a, you know, Amazon, a lot of other folks trying to do the same thing. So if you fast forward in time, you know, in, in the very near future, really, the next three to five years, um, I think you're going to see a considerable uh, shift in the revenue profile of some of these companies, which is also going to enable um new technologies it's also going to further some of their core missions so for instance if you look at spacex you know they're often make, they they make the news a lot for launching this satellite or launching that satellite or hey we're going to take cargo or we're soon going to take you know astronauts to the iss mm-hmm. you know and that's all great and that's growing their business but um you know their core mission really is to colonize mars right to occupy mars that's the thing that that really the company was founded to do and if we think about something like Starlink and this this new revenue stream, which could potentially be quite significant, we really expect that we could see a lot of acceleration in the activities that that they're they're working on right now with you know the the, the Raptor propulsion system, for instance. Um, and, and we think that that these the revenue streams that they're going to that we're going to start seeing from these constellations could really be significant. So with all of this growth and with all of these different projects that are going on and people with different goals and different revenue streams and, and you know different ways that, that companies are approaching this, what does that mean for a company like Technetics as you work with these different companies and with these different partners? How, you know, how, how are you working to accommodate their needs and what does this mean for you as a company moving forward? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, in, in the space, you still have a lot of smaller startup uh, operations. And, and for those folks, you know, there's, I think there's opportunity for smaller vendors who want to kind of crack into the space to maybe have a, have a shot to, you know, to try their product in this application or that application. And I think there's always going to be opportunity there. But when we think about the, the big companies, uh, some of them that we mentioned that are doing like the constellations, for instance, they need a different type of vendor, right? They need somebody who can um, kind of operate in more in, in a manner that's more akin to what we do in the commercial aerospace environment. Right. So that means have the ability to increase rate, have, you know, have the experience having increased rate, um, have the financial uh, wherewithal to do so, have you know, financial backing to where if they increase rate and something goes awry in the space market, you know, uh, for instance, if there's another anomaly with one of our customers and there's a sudden pullback that they can afford to kind of roll with those punches. So for us, one, we've, we've been through those cycles, both in the commercial space and in the space market. You know, we are part of a publicly traded company called NPRO Industries. We have the kind of the depth and the scale and the financial backing to be able to scale with our customers as they need us to, but also to be able to kind of pivot um, should there be a pullback or a turn in the market. And, and in the space market, things are it's a very dynamic space and things change very quickly. And we've been very fortunate that things have, um, you know, been ramping and growing well, but we also have to be cognizant that, you know, things can, can change as, as often said, you know, space is tough and things can, things can definitely go sideways very quickly. So, you know, some of these smaller vendors who, you know, maybe want to become bigger players in this space, uh, I think talking to some of our customers, that that's a great concern because they don't have, necessarily the track record of the ability to scale we do and that's kind of where we see the market going is we need to, the, our customers need folks like us who can kind of act more in that traditional commercial arrow manner um, and it's not just about scale but it's also about finding efficiencies in our product finding efficiencies commercially really kind of thinking in that more of that lean uh, high volume manufacturing mindset. And again, for us, with, with the exposure to different end markets that we have, we're already there. So we can kind of bring that benefit of our, our, our expertise and our experience in those other end markets to our space customers, which again, allows us to kind of grow with them and scale with them at the rate that they're looking for. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like an absolutely fascinating time to be working in this particular industry, just with all the different growth, all of these various avenues, and um, just a, a fun time to kind of be able to ex explore uh, this type of market. So Jason Riggs, thank you so much for joining me today and talking a little bit more about uh, what it is that you do with the aerospace business unit and how things are going forward. Thank you, Tyler. appreciate you having me on. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Getting Technetical with Technetics. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe to this channel on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts these days. And you can go back and listen to previous episodes as well as get the latest episodes downloaded directly on your device so you can listen to it easily. Like I said before, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening.